welcome to the phone calls where we found our cars and serve the lord jesus christ i'm michael the man behind the machine and to my right your left is sebastian the bookkeeper i think you actually are on the right in this setup or whatever um and then all the way over the airwaves it's Theodore, under the PC, under the person of Christ. All right, and we've got special guest, Catholic Answers. Um, this is a oh, special sorry. guest of Catholic Answers, uh, Joshua Charles. I have him paused and unscreened up for our reaction video today because we've actually got two videos to go through. Um, one shorter one here from Catholic Answers called His Biggest Issue with Protestantism from this convert, Joshua, who converted from Protestantism to Catholicism. Um, I think we're pretty much going to skip it because the punchline is really just one line and we can get over with it and then move to one on purgatory, both from Catholic Answers. Before I get into that, in case you've never watched one of our classic response videos before, um, we hit in a couple groups. We try to keep diversified. It's just we would go to other groups for the record. Like we don't want to just stay on the Catholic thing or the Mormon thing or Eastern Orthodox. And we have done a lot of those recently in the past, but it's really just because they keep producing material to react to. Um, we need more... Hindus, we need more um, crazy cults to be out here so we can react to them on YouTube. But it just happens to be the Catholics, Catholic Answers in particular, has a lot of content out there to react to that's just straight up wrong. Um, so we're going to react to it. Uh, but if you've never heard us talk about this before, as, as prelude, we are Protestants. We're all Reformed mm -hmm. Protestants. Uh, of varying degrees, we all go to different churches. Um, so it's not that we're all 100% unified in everything, which is good because it keeps us balanced. Um, but we all agree that... The Roman Catholic Church, as it stands today, used to be Christian, and they have, since they fought the Protestants in the Reformation, they have explicitly denied the gospel and adopted an anti-gospel position that says that you cannot be saved by faith in Christ. You have to be saved by works and the work of Christ. And so when they adopted that, uh, when they fought the Protestants officially, um, they officially apostatized. They officially took the position that is railed against in Galatians. Galatians' letter from Paul was against the Judaizers who claimed that you needed Jesus to be saved, but you also needed circumcision. You also needed the works of the law. Um, we agree, just like Paul did, that the works of the law are good, but they are not needed for salvation. And so we point together with St. Paul and say that anybody who says that the works are what save us along with faith are anathema. They've fallen from Christ. They are no longer saved. And that is what we'd say about the Roman Catholic Church. All that to say, the Roman Catholics make a lot of other things issues as well. It's not just that that they make an issue. They themselves say that not being under the Roman pontiff is an issue if you're not for being saved or not. They say not venerating the saints is an issue. They say rejecting any of their Marian dogmas, that Mary is, Mary is super holy and whatever else um, is, is liable for not being saved. Um, so they have a lot of other conditions that they say that we're not saved on. But the reason we react to Catholics is because they claim to be Christians. And half the time, especially in the United States, they are very ecumenical. You know, they hold out the hand and they say, we're fellow Christians, you're fellow Christians, let's just get along and you come to our church and you give us your money for the anti-abortion cause or for the political cause or whatever, insert your thing here. And I think that we should not be so tricked by a group that is no longer led by the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean, though, that there are not actual Christians within the Roman Catholic Church. They may be few in number, they may be very confused people that in spite of we're, what we're saying is that these people are saved in spite of all the additions and weird teachings that the Catholic Church imposes on its adherents. So right. we pray these people would leave because the church, not individual normal people that go there Sunday and have normal lives, not those people, but the, the priests, the bishops, the pope, they have rejected and teach falsely is what we would claim. 
Yep, and you will see here, and again, the reason I have it not full screened is because the, his biggest issue with Protestantism, we're just gonna review real quick without even letting him speak. His biggest issue, surprise, surprise, is something Catholics bring up all the time, and that is Protestants are just so divided on doctrine. If you come and ask if homosexuality is wrong to the Protestant church, you'll get different answers from all sorts of groups, or how you conduct baptism, you'll get different answers from all sorts of groups, and the same with basically any issue. Um, and therefore, you can't effectively be a Protestant because being a Protestant means being a million different things. Therefore, the only way to be a consistent Christian is to be a Roman Catholic, because as we all know, Roman Catholics have to, always the same practice. If you ask one Roman Catholic something, the, the will answer for all Roman Catholics. Just kidding. <laughs> right? when, when you say that if you ask a Protestant um, a, a question on doctrine, that you'll have many disagreeing Protestants that will disagree with that person, it, it is so blatantly... Um, not looking to your right and left as a Roman Catholic, where if you ask one Roman Catholic one thing, if you ask Catholic answers, um, they will have different answers across their own board, let alone with the Pope, and the Pope with German bishops, so like... And with previous Popes. And with previous Popes. The Roman Catholic Church has differences on homosexuality, the same issue, on whether or not evolution is real, on whether or not Jews are included in the covenant, and whether or not Muslims are committed in the covenant, whether or not Mary is the co-redemptrix along with Christ, whether or not we should pray to saints, whether or not we can openly worship saints, or if we're just venerating them, uh, whether or not abortion is legal, whether or not you can have women clergy. I mean, every single thing that you would point to the Protestant church as a whole and say the Protestant church is divided on, um, you can point to Catholics and say the exact same thing. And they, they need to admit it because it's just reality, right? The German bishops want homosexuals to be in the pulpit. They want women to be in the women pulpit. Priests, just, yeah. um, the Pope right now is pro-homosexual. It's not a, not a closed secret, an open, open admission he is pro-homosexuals. Um, he's stacking the College of Cardinals with people who are pro-homosexuality. Um, so these are issues, and, and he's pro-abortion. He, he put a pro-abortion guy on the Catholic Right to Life um, Council. So like... All the issues you point to liberal Protestant churches, we would point the finger at those liberal Protestant churches and say they are not practicing Christians for the most part. They have left the gospel. So they might claim to be Protestant, but they're not. The Roman Catholic points to the Pope. What is he supposed to point to the Pope and say that he's not a true Roman Catholic? You know, it kind of defeats the whole church if the Pope is not a Roman Catholic. There are people that are sede vacante, which means that they be, the chair is empty in Latin. So that is even another uh, unique Catholic position. Yeah, so instead of submitting to the authority of the vicar of Christ, whatever we won't even bother listening to him. I promise. Look up the video. His biggest issue with Protestantism, if you want yourself. But that's what he has to say: is that he used to be Protestant, and it was just so confusing. So now he's a Catholic, where everything makes sense. Which I, I wish, right? Um, so let's go to their, their real video. <laughs> a video that might be a little harder for us to respond to. This is called "Biblical Proof for Purgatory in Protestant Bibles." Mind you, um, he knows Protestant Bibles because Catholics include a bunch of books that we consider fan fiction um, they include it as part of the bible because they're different and they wanted to be different um, there's history behind that but essentially it's that there was extra books that we always had alongside the bible and the catholics because they were fighting protestants decided to add it to the bible so they could be different That's and before anyone starts saying oh but protestants removed these important books from the bible I would say Roman Catholics, quote unquote, removed them way before there was such a thing as Protestantism. Mm -hmm. Jerome, a doctor of the church, I'm pretty sure, like same with Augustine, he did not believe that the Apocrypha, which is included in Roman Catholic book and Bibles now, was not part of the Oral Bible. He says the, it, it is in the Greek version of the Bible, the Septuagint, but the Jews, according to Jerome, uh, 
man who was fluent in Greek and Hebrew said, yeah, but the Jews never accepted them in scripture. So that's why we're not including, I'm not including them in the Old Testament. Pope Gregory the Great also didn't believe that they were part of scripture. They're like, this is good for teaching. This is good fan, I'm paraphrasing. This is good fan fiction. It's great for reading. And it's probably written by godly people back in the, back in the day, but it's fan fiction. It's not in the Bible. The man who interrogated Luther to figure out if he was a heretic, he said, yeah, these are not part of scripture. I know that some believe after Carthage that this is scripture. No, but these are not canonical. They're they are, they are good for teaching and, and um, encouragement, but they're not part of the official Bible. So Roman Catholics saying these are not part of the Bible. Just, just let's throw that out there before he starts citing some of these books that are not part of the Bible. All of that to say, a lot of issues with Roman Catholicism. Not all of them are gospel issues. Um, Purgatory, I think, speaks to a gospel issue, and so we'll listen to his defense of it. Especially because we both should hold to, Protestants and Catholics alike should hold to um, the Bible, the real, but the Protestant Bible, he calls it, the accepted Bible. Um, that That is our sole infallible source of truth, authority on truth. The church is not. The church is only as true as it is close to the Bible. Um, so let's see what he has to say about purgatory from the Protestant Bible. Our second Bible passage where we argue that Jesus affirms purgatory is Matthew chapter 12, verse 32. We read, And whoever says a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Pause right there. This is the quote. Mm -hmm. This is the verse that from the Protestant Bible. So he says from the Bible um, that he will use to push for purgatory. So I would say let that sink in. See if anything stands out. If you see the notion of purgatory, I don't. I don't recall if he's exactly going to define it, but I think it would be useful to just lay it out there before he starts getting into what purgatory is. Sure. That it is a, put it simply, uh, in between state between this world and the kingdom of heaven for Christians who have died still in the faith in the church in communion with the church but have not been perfected yet in this life. Therefore, they need to have some remnant sins that are no mortal sins removed from them in order to be in the presence of God. So at least in medieval theology, this took time. Writings on this too, that it could take between a day, a thousand years, depending on the amount of sins that you needed to purge from yourself. So this is an in-between state in essence that you need to go through if you're still not perfect. To enter heaven. Yeah, and if I can put it extremely bluntly, Catholics are arguing that when you die and you're separated from your body and your body is on earth, dead in the grave, but your spirit is now still alive, of course, and would be going to judgment, um, you are still a glutton. You are still a drunkard. You are still an idolater. You're still a liar. And therefore, if you're going to enter heaven, you need to no longer be a liar, a glutton, a drunkard, whatever. As we read in scripture, liars and drunkards and idolaters, they are outside the city, so they cannot enter heaven. But the question is, if you die a liar, how how are you how are you to not how are you not to be included in the list of people who are outside the city? How are, if you are currently a liar, how are you to be purged of this sin? The, the, the answer, you know, the Protestant answer, the answer is that if you die and your spirit is a lying spirit, you are a liar. 
that you are a liar and you will be you will be judged as a liar and sent out of the city the only way that you get to heaven is by a perfect spirit and the only way you achieve a perfect spirit is by the covering of the blood of jesus christ so if you would be counted as a liar before god on judgment day you will be judged a liar you need to be covered by the blood of jesus christ and the only way to be covered by the blood of jesus christ is by accepting him and making him your lord so anybody who thinks that they're trusting in the purging of purgatory or on the merits of the saints or on their own good works to cover their bad works they will be judged a liar or a, a <laughs> glutton or whatever name your sin and they will be sent to hell accordingly this is important let's bring some scripture into this from romans who quotes psalms so pretty much new and old testament blessed is the man to whom the lord shall not impute sin if you die and you still have random sins on you by definition God is still imputing sins against you. Yeah. Didn't we just read, didn't we just see, you can look this up for yourself too in, in Romans and in Psalms when Paul says, blessed is the man to whom God shall not impute sin. This is going against the biblical teaching. Right. There, so hence why we're even addressing this topic to begin with because the idea of purgatory goes against the teaching of the Bible that once the blood of Christ covers you, God will not impute sins on you. Right, because it's saying that you still have imputed sins. And and primarily, I think it says that you can pay for sins through effort. Because oh, purgatory yeah. is purging effort, right? It's not actually the blood of Christ applying on you. It's it's a thousand lashes or it's, uh, you know, 10,000 years in boiling hot lava or it's 10 minutes in contemplation or whatever. It's some work that's paying off your sin. It's purging your soul. Mm. And we would say that, no, the only work that purges your soul is the work of Jesus Christ. And when you die... Your flesh is what held the rest of your sins. So the fact that I still sin in this life is my fault. I am my flesh and my spirit. When my flesh dies, I will no longer sin. My spirit has been born again. It is the new spirit put into me by God himself, and my spirit does not sin. That's why Paul exhorts the reader, the Christian, to live by the spirit, not by the flesh, and that Christ lives in him, no longer him who lives. So when the flesh dies, that's the only purgatory you need, is that you're, you're purged of the flesh, and then you'll be given a new flesh. So this isn't a, not an anti-flesh position, but your flesh is what causes you to sin right now. The spirit does not sin. If your spirit still sins, you are, as Matthew is talking about here, even in Matthew 10, Jesus is talking about in Matthew 10, you are the bad tree, right? Bad trees produce bad fruit. If you're a good person god has put a good spirit in you you are a good tree who produces good fruit a good tree cannot produce bad fruit so if you still produce bad fruit in this life it must not be from your spirit it must be either well it could be from your spirit if you're still a bad person but if you have a good spirit um the bad fruit must be coming from your flesh hopefully that makes a little bit of sense here mm -hmm. but i think all in all to say this quote from jesus where he says whoever sins um against the holy spirit um will never be forgiven in this age the age to come is in no context related to purgatory. It's around people who are doubting that his purging of demons is from God. They say it's from Satan. His response is that if you claim these works of the Holy Spirit are from Satan, you really don't know me, and therefore you will not be forgiven. Um, that's the context of this, this verse. Traditionally, the unpardonable sin refers to final impenitence, where an individual refuses God's mercy until death which is totally out of context. It's insane. It's Catholic doctrine. It's not out of the context there in Matthew. Again, in Matthew, it's people who are claiming that his works, that Jesus' miraculous purging of demons is, is via demonic power. And he says, if you think this is demonic power, you, you will not be forgiven either in this age or the age to come. Mm -hmm. As taught by the Catechism in paragraph 1864. But rest assured that according to the Catechism in paragraph 982, 
As long as someone turns away from sin and his repentance is honest, God will forgive him. The Catechism states, there is no offense, however serious, that the church cannot forgive. Can't, can't be understated that, first of all, he keeps quoting the Catechism, which is just Roman doctrine. It's not from the Bible. Um, some of the Catechism is straight out of the Bible. Like, mm-hmm. for example, repentance coming to salvation. That's just out of the Bible, right? That's Jesus' opening lines in Mark are, repent and believe in the good news. Um, but this line, there's no offense, however serious, that the church cannot forgive is clearly not from the Bible because the church cannot forgive sins, right? Jesus forgives sins and Jesus gives the authority to forgive sins to his apostles, but the church itself is not given authority to forgive sins. So um, there is no offense, however serious, that Christ cannot forgive. That's the real catechism, not the Roman catechism. Right. Setting aside the question of what the unforgivable sin is, Catholics who appeal to this passage highlight Jesus's implication. There are some sins that can be forgiven in the age to come, or the afterlife. Pope St. Gregory the Great, in his dialogues, says, From this sentence, we understand that certain offenses can be forgiven in this age, but certain others in the age to come. And so you see how he's setting this up, is that some offenses can be paid for here, or other offenses can be paid for in heaven. But that requires a state where you're not already in heaven to exist, a purgatory, some some holding place to exist, because we know that sin cannot be allowed into heaven. And therefore, if you're still sinning and need to be forgiven in heaven, well, that, that wouldn't make sense. And so out of necessity, there must be a purgatory place. However, if we go back to Jesus's original quote, he says, this sin will not be forgiven in this age or the age to come which is directly combating views like purgatory that say there is a second time when you can be forgiven. Mormons say the same thing, mm-hmm. right? There's a second chance that you'll get at accepting Jesus after you're dead. Jesus is explicitly saying that you won't be able to be forgiven in that time period. So it is not asserting that there is a time you can be forgiven then. Um, he, is, he is saying the opposite, right? And the the issue that Jesus is, is dealing with there, again, the Pharisees saying that he's healing by the power of demons, isn't touching purgatory at all. So I don't believe that the Lord is intending to say anything about the the time periods of forgiveness or anything like that. I think he is making it explicit that this is not a sin that you will be forgiven for. Um, whether you think you can be forgiven after death or not, like you will not be forgiven at mm-hmm. all for this. That's what he is saying. I Go ahead, Theodore. Add something. <laughs> I'm not sure if this makes sense. Maybe this... Kind of goes along with what you're saying but i was uh, thinking of a potential uh analogy like or the age to come being analogous to and ever yeah in like the proverbial phrase forever and ever well obviously forever is forever and but forever and ever is just definitely forever so <laughs> if you say and the age to come then that just means yeah it's done it's settled settled um like in no time will you be forgiven in like there will never be a, a time or occasion in, in which you will have forgiveness for this unforgivable sin. yeah a- absolutely and that that statement does not indicate that there are times where you won't be forgiven now but maybe in the future like what gregory the great's assertion here is just not logically necessitated from the text right The Catechism of the Catholic Church uses this quote from Pope St. Gregory as support for its definition of purgatory as a post-mortem final purification of the elect in paragraph 1031. 
Since purgatory involves the postmortem forgiveness of the guilt of remaining venial sins, along with the purification of any remnants of past forgiven venial or mortal sins, it denote if you still have sin on you after you've purged the flesh, you are a sinner by nature and will be sent to hell. There's no purging. Some conclude that Jesus affirms the existence of purgatory. But how do we know that Jesus intends the age to come to refer to the afterlife? And why should we think Jesus intends to imply that sins can be forgiven there? Moreover, how do Christians who don't see... Well, note, of course, we all believe that sins will be forgiven in the afterlife. That's kind of the whole gospel, right? The question is, can you be forgiven them when you weren't forgiven in this life, right? Like, can there be a time where you, when you died in an unforgiven state, but somehow then you get forgiven in the afterlife. That's what you're asking, which those are, it's a different question than what Jesus is addressing entirely, right? But I digress. This as a reference to purgatory, read this passage. We'll consider these questions in this lesson and over the next few lessons. There are good reasons to think the age that Jesus refers to is the afterlife. One is that Jesus uses the age to come elsewhere in the Gospels in, the, in this way. Consider, for example, Mark chapter 10, verses 29 through 30. You can see also Luke chapter 18, verse 30, where Jesus says, those who leave house, brother, sister, mother, father, and land for his sake will receive a hundredfold return in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus speaks of this time and the age to come as two distinct states of existence, this life and the next, both of which consist of people receiving rewards for giving up everything for him. Similarly, in Luke chapter 20, verses 34 through 35, Jesus speaks of this age as referring to this life, when men marry, and that age as the afterlife, when men do not marry. Jesus clearly intends this distinction to be taken literally, conveying a truth about the age to come. Namely, there is no marriage. And Jesus can't be referring merely to an age in the future at the end of time, because souls in the afterlife right now do not marry. A second clue that the age to come likely refers to the afterlife is that just a few verses later, verse 36, Jesus speaks of the day of judgment, which, according to Hebrews 9.27, comes after death. And he speaks of it in connection with his previous warning about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, men will render account for every careless word they utter. For by your words, you will be justified. Mm -hmm. And by your words, you will be condemned. That's verses 36 through 37 of Matthew chapter 12. Now that we have good reason to think Jesus intends the age to come to refer to the afterlife, which we agree, by the way, you could argue is what I think he's getting here is you could argue that when Jesus says the age to come, he really means post the destruction of the temple or something like that. Um, but we don't. So moot to us. What about the implication that sins can be forgiven there? The reasoning is pretty straightforward. There would be no need for Jesus to exclude the sin against the Holy Spirit from being forgiven in the age to come unless it were possible that some sins could be forgiven in that age. Juvenile. As we already discussed, dumb logic, because like you said, Theodore, it's a turn of phrase to say forever and never. And if I said um, that you will never, that you, your smoke will go up, the torment of your smoke will go up forever and ever, as it says in Revelation, for example, for those in hell, that doesn't imply that some people are burned forever, but not ever. And then some other people are burned forever and ever. Like the inclusion of ever means that there must be some people that only get us forever, not enough forever, ever. Um, so when Jesus says you will not be forgiven in this age or the age to come, 
using that to imply that you can be forgiven in the age to come, but not in this age is insane, right? Yeah, you're just being cheeky with that for whenever for for certain people over there. Oh, for theater. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yes, I think he. this is completely missing the point of what Jesus is getting at. So the point that we should be focusing on what he said is, holy smokes, pun intended. We should be worried that if we commit blasphemy, at no point in our existence now or in eternity will we be forgiven of this. So let's not blaspheme against God and the work that he's doing. Yeah. Instead of, wait, if this is not for then therefore this could potentially mean that there are some things that may be forgiven in the afterlife if this one thing is... You know, I think it's missing the point completely from what Jesus is getting at. But I think it, it goes against this point. Yeah, yes. I mean, it goes against this point. He's, Jesus is refuting the idea that you might be able to be forgiven in the next life, even if you aren't forgiven in this life, that kind of thing. Since Jesus does mention the theoretical possibility of sins being forgiven in the next life, he doesn't. We can conclude it's possible for sins to be forgiven there. And remember, remember, the Catholic Church does not demand that you accept that it is possible that purgatory exists. They demand that you believe it exists. It is dogmatic that you believe that there are, that you will be purged in a period without going into God's kingdom in the afterlife, which brings up all sorts of questions about, again, the efficacy of Christ's payment for you, the necessity of Christ's payment for you, because here you are able to get purged without his blood. It goes into, was the thief actually sent to paradise on that day? And there are so many questions that purgatory brings up that clearly purgatory is not described in the Bible. He says that maybe Jesus' statement here allows for us to possibly consider purgatory. But the Roman Catholic Church does not stop there. They heap dogma on dogma on dogma that if you disagree with it, you are now not saved. You are outside of the church. You are going to hell because you don't believe that this gospel-denying concept called purgatory exists. That is what they assert here. So it's not just the possibility of purgatory. It's the huge doctrine they import in. So this is a, um, they're trying to stick their toe in so they can open it up and throw flashbangs and grenades and kill your old egg. <laughs> yes. I was going to say, based on this, from Hebrews 9.27, people are destined to die once and after that, to face judgment. Right. Is there any waiting period? No other waiting period is ever suggested in the Bible. Um, there's another There's another phrase that some Catholic theologians have used in, in arguments about purgatory. There's a famous debate between James White and another Roman Catholic about purgatory, in which he says that the phrase where, um, in the Bible where it says that you'll be saved... Um, those who build with with on the foundation of Christ, but with sticks and rubble, flammable things, when it's burned in the end, they'll be burned and pass through with nothing um, but with their lives. And so he says that that's purgatory because there's burning and purging of the old wicked deeds. But notice, even in that analogy, the biblical analogy, there's one burning, judgment, right? And then you have your life. So the, the purging is the death and the judgment. There's no there's no in-between period. It's death to judgment, just as Paul describes. Mm -hmm. It's the work that's burned up, not the person. Right. So, so it's, a, it's a very bad argument. There is no argument for, for purgatory in the Bible. So like we just saw him try to argue that Jesus was talking about it. And Jesus is explicitly saying you can't be forgiven in the next life. And if I recall correctly, I may be wrong on the date, wasn't codified as a Catholic doctrine until 1275, so 1,275, which is a very long time for the doctrine to be mushy or unclear and not have been defined or even taught explicitly by people in the past. Right. 
And that possibility would become actual if a saved soul departs from the body with the guilt of unrepented venial sins, since nothing defiled can enter heaven, as we've seen in Revelation chapter 21, verse 27. And I'm going to keep harping on it, but I think it speaks to the gospel issue here. If you die, you're no longer with your sinful body, and your spirit still has sin on it, you are a bad tree, not a good tree. There's no excuse for you. When you were in life and you sinned, we could, we can say the flesh is still bad, the spirit, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, that kind of statement, right? Like, my, my spirit is good, it's purified, it's been remade as pure, um, and therefore it is a good tree. It only produces good fruit, but the flesh is still producing bad fruit, and that's why this bad fruit came out. You know, I said this mean thing, I lied, I did this sin. But when you die, if you're still doing bad things, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. You are a bad tree, and what does Jesus say about bad trees? They get cast out, chopped down and thrown into the fire. There's no, the dead fire, the, the hell fire, not the, the purging of purgatory to become a good tree. Um, if you are a bad tree, you go to hell. So if you have been purged from the flesh and you are still bad, you are destined for hellfire. You are a liar. You're, you're an idolater. You need to rest in Jesus Christ's work to make you, to reform your spirit, to, so that you can be rebirthed by spirit and water and become a new man. Um, even if you're still in your sinful flesh, you are a new man by spirit. So again, if you plan to die and still be a sinner, you will not get purgatory, you'll get hellfire. And also, let me add to this because this is critical. From Romans 8, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Critical. If you have sins on you, if you're still a sinful person by nature, which you would be if you're in purgatory, mm -hmm. because you still have sins on you, you cannot please God. Hence why they would say, oh, that's why you need the purging. But, but Paul you continues. Because you yes. can't please God. Yes, yeah. yes. And then Paul continues. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. So, and if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Going back to what we're saying. Once you have been redeemed by Christ, you have been fully adopted into his family, as First John would say. It's not you're partially adopted and it's like, oh, just kidding, you're out. You are fully brought into the family of God. So you're either completely in, if you're completely in, at the end of your life, God will not impute any more sin. Actually, you mean right now. God is not imputing any more sins on you. Christ has taken it on himself, according to what the scripture teaches. And once you die, Christ has already covered all your sins. Therefore, you can be pleasing to God and enter heaven. Mm -hmm. This is where the Catholics for short, because they do not believe in that. They believe that you can still heap upon yourself sins. And hence why we've been discussing about purgatory to, to begin with. Uh, it I just, I wonder how the Roman Catholic reads the very famous passages from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking about the good trees and the bad trees or the storerooms of good and bad. He is explicitly saying that, that bad fruit, bad things come from bad people and that good things come from good people and that they don't mix. He has that whole thing about the, the wine um, skins where you can't patch an old wine skin with, with new garment. Um, or an old cloth with new garment. Like you can't mix these things. A new new garment with new cloth or an old garment with old cloth. So you can't mix bad works and good works. You can't mix the old man with the new man. Um, like when we get purged from our old flesh, we will receive new flesh. Um, and that that's that's going to be our new body. You know, like that's the whole gospel. So when you miss this fact and you think that you are still partially covered, like you're suggesting, Sebastian, mm -hmm. um, you've missed the gospel because Jesus can only fully redeem you or not at all. So what do we have? We have a state of existence after death wherein it's possible for a soul to be forgiven of its sins. And in light of the Old Testament tradition, 
specifically, I mean, we all, any Christian believes that, the, that when you are dead, it's possible that your sins are paid for because that's the gospel that Jesus mm-hmm. pays for the sins of those who have died. Um, the question here is that you weren't forgiven in life, meaning you weren't covered by these, by Jesus in life, but now you're paid for in death. How does that happen? Through toil and work, they suggest. That's workspace salvation. As much as Catholics decry and claw their eyes out and pull their hair saying that they don't believe in workspace salvation, purgatory is workspace salvation. All the ways they manage sin in this life are workspace salvation. They are a workspace salvation religion like many others before them. And the unfortunately, the tragedy from that was that in the Middle Ages and really what kicked off the Reformation was that through the buying of indulgences you could diminish the time of purgatory for your dead relatives Mm -hmm. i mean that is a literal work you are working for the benefit for the benefit of others yep for example in psalm 66 10 through 12 isaiah chapter 4 verse 4 and chapter 6 verses 6 through 7 and paul's writings for example in first corinthians chapter 3 verses 11 through 15 when someone is forgiven of sins the forgiveness is described as purgation or purification This post-mortem purifying state can't be heaven, since there are no sins in heaven. It can't be hell, since no souls in hell can have their sins forgiven and be saved. So what is it? It's purgatory. If you enjoyed learning how to... And there you go. That's the pitch. Um, It's anti-gospel. It's clearly not from the Bible, let alone the Protestant Bible. Uh, It's... It's... It's not right. What, What more is there to say? I think you possibly had some quotes or something, Theodore, that I haven't heard you bring up. Any further... Topics here. Bring us up. This is fun. But before that, I had another talk. Um, another analogy, if you will, of like uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who commonly known as Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego, were thrown into the fiery furnace. Uh-huh. They're thrown into the furnace, but they were not harmed. They were not uh, like purified or cleansed, but evil soldiers that threw them in the fire uh, the fire was so hot that it killed them mm-hmm. so i think a good analogy would be that um like we're not going to be harmed it's not it, like you said it's not purging the remnant sins or diseased nature um but it's just burning up that which is bad um which is totally the tree analogy um that the whole tree is good or the whole tree is bad and therefore the whole tree would be and i michelle and azariah and then the bad tree would be the soldiers who threw them in Mm -hmm. the fire then um so getting back to this unless you have anything to say first no, I totally agree. Even the the Isaiah passage where he's where he sees God, you know, Isaiah one or two, and he sees God, and he's saying, "I'm a man of unclean lips," and the angel brings a coal from the the base of God's throne and puts it to his lips. Um, this flaming coal like burns away the previously unclean lips, and new clean lips are put in their place, right? And when Jesus gives this new spirit, as prophesied in Ezekiel, God says that I will take out your soul of flesh and put in or a soul of stone, sorry, and put in a soul of flesh, a heart of flesh. And so it's a replacement. You have you had an old evil spirit, you now have a pure good spirit. There's no there's no mixing of the two. It's not a mixed spirit. Also that, that verse that you mentioned, uh, and that guy mentioned in Isaiah 6, 6 or 7, it mentions nothing of any 
pain or mm-hmm. um, suffering from this coal, um, the angel sort of says, this burning coal has touched uh, your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sins are forgiven. There's no anguish associated with it, I guess. There you go, perfect. And your mic just um, cleared up too. <laughs> cool. And oh, you had another quote right. as well. <laughs> right. So, do we want to bring it to the thief on the cross? Uh huh. Okay. Um. So Protestants would say that the thief on the cross is the perfect example of you're saved by faith. You're saved by repentance and faith. And. If you're not familiar, thief on the cross is a thief being crucified next to Christ. Bad guy, thief guy, right? Bad enough to be being crucified by the Romans and probably mocked Christ, actually, while he was sitting next to him eventually. But at some point before he dies, he repents and turns to Jesus and says, I believe that you're the son of God. Yeah, 42 to 43. Then he said, Jesus, uh, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, "Uh, Amen, I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, <laughs> one of the fun things is Catholics, it, they all acknowledge this is a terrible view and an extreme minority view, and they don't put any of their um, pennies in the jar with this view, but they say, well, it, the translation, where's the comma? Uh, do you put the comma before or after today? Because they want to say, they would like to say, that Jesus says, Amen, I say to you today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. Meaning he's just saying it right then. But Jesus never uses that kind of rhetoric uh, in the rest of the uh, New Testament. It's just, I say to you. And then he says whatever he's going to say. Yeah. And um, so <laughs> I was wondering, uh, well, what bi- Bible translation do the Catholics prefer? And so I went to Catholic.com, obviously, and they said maybe the NAB, Revised Edition, or the RSV, uh, Catholic Edition, or the new RSV, Revised Standard Version, Catholic Edition, and all of them say, truly I say to you, comma, today you will be with me in paradise. Right. So that's just to get that out of the way. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But then even regarding purgatory uh catholic answers own apologists let's see well first i'll start with father priest or pastor charles uh from rhode island who leads a parish there he says generally speaking the most common understanding of the passage has been that uh the good thief went straight to heaven due to his perfect contrition that is repentance and faith um for his sins. Now, Patrick Madrid, um, he uh, he was with Catholic answer, Answers for like uh, 18 years, maybe, and he became the vice president there. And he said of the thief on the cross, he received his forgiveness from the Lord by his act of faith on the cross. Now, Jimmy Aiken uh, has been with Catholic Answers maybe 25 years, and Uh, He says, God can transform a person as quickly as he chooses. Paul speaks of those on the last day being transformed in the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15, 52. The thief could die with Christ, be transformed by him in the twinkling of an eye, 
and be with him in paradise. So there you have it from Catholic, Catholic answers, answers themselves. themselves. Yeah. Right. How this supposed purgatory can be um, immediate, um, almost in no time at all, in the twinkling of an eye, just because of their faith and God's uh, trans, Jesus's God's transforming of them. Yeah, and if, if bring them to paradise, not purgatory. Right, and if what we mean by purgatory then is the death of the flesh and the renewal of the spirit, you know, God putting taking away a heart of stone and putting in a heart of flesh, then yeah, we all agree in purgatory because we all believe that God there's some time involved in him like doing the thing but traditional purgatory is none of that right traditional purgatory is some real time period spent in a pseudo hell until you get into heaven and basically hell for um for beginners you know a little little taste of hell before you get to heaven and so that is not the same thing as your body dying and then you go to heaven like that's (laughs) that's not purgatory so if they're going to try to justify the doctrine of purgatory by saying it's basically what Protestants believe, then they are lying because that's not what purgatory has been. It's not what the Catholic Church defines purgatory as. So, you know, if you want to say that purgatory lasts a millisecond, I guess we could get on board with that. But nah, 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 nah. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just being cheeky. With, <laughs> however, with medieval teaching has been consistent even up to through the Reformation, was that it could have last hundreds, if not thousands of years. And also, Mary who said that on certain days, I think of the week, depending on, how, on the prayers too, would come in and sweep a certain number of people from purgatory and, you know, shorten their sentence and just bring him to heaven. So this was a very lengthy process and this belief was conceived in order to shorten the suffering, the actual bodily suffering of people in purgatory. So it's not just the removal of your sinful deeds, as we talked about from uh, people who build with hay or versus those who build with was it stone or gold that's passed through fire Both, yeah okay okay yeah this is you are suffering in purgatory and that is not biblical right well any other closing thoughts purgatory catholicism life gentlemen i got a, another quote from my catholic dot life um of somebody talking about our blessed mother mary um being consoled by um, witnessing the salvation of the criminal um, after her own son's death. just found that strange, but we <laughs> we don't need to talk about that. I don't think we need to talk about Unless that. Unless you want to read <laughs> That's some weird conjecture stuff. We're all guilty of weird conjecture stuff from time to time. All right, well, that's why we have found our cause in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Not one that saves partially, but one who saves to the fullest, to the uttermost, as the book of Hebrews would say. I've been Michael Lynn behind the machine, and to my right has been... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. And all the way virtually across the airwaves has been... Theodore, under the PC. Until next time, when you watch us talk about something completely different, you can find us on podbean.com forward slash found cause. We can download us all for your listening pleasure, but you won't be able to see the wonderful face of our Catholic Answers person or me or Theodore or Sebastian. So if you want to see our beautiful faces, you're going to have to go to found cause on YouTube or on Facebook. Um, we're also on Spotify and iTunes and wherever else you might find your podcast. So until next time, we'll talk about something completely different. I promise you. Stay tuned. Bye-bye. Bye.